Hi, welcome to Air Graphics Podcast. My name is Ralph Kelly, the owner of Air Graphics, Airbrushing, and Caricatures. Our guest today is Art Guapo Solis from Battle Creek, Michigan. Art has transitioned from airbrusher to fabricator to tattoos and still a sprinkle of airbrushing. Let's talk to Art to see how those transitions came to be. Okay, you got it? Yeah, I'm, I'm live. We live, baby. Okay, cool. All right, you ready to start or you want to, want to redo it? I just want to make sure you get connected. Uh, I'm ready. If you're ready, I can go downstairs real quick so I'm not interrupted. Put the dogs and stuff. Oh, it's up to you. Okay, let me just walk down there real quick. Walking down, walking down. Walking down. So what's going on? Just working. Working like crazy. I don't know. How how are you doing? Same thing, man. Same thing. Trying to make it. Trying to make it. Okay. Can right. you hear me good? Yeah, I can, I can hear you good. All right. So what's going on, Art? What's up? Hey, uh. You got any websites or, or anything you want to promote? Yeah, I got a couple different things going on, uh, you know, social media wise. I've got uh, my Instagram page, which is Art Solus Tattoo. And then I've got my Facebook page, which is Art Solus Designs. And then obviously I've got my uh, website, which is inkstationtattoo.com. Yeah, that's so, right. I see you do tattoos. Yep, yep. I made that transition about a year and a half ago now. So, uh, let's get to it. The first question is, uh, how long have you been airbrushing? Uh, I picked up my first airbrush in 2007, and um, it kind of just happened by chance. I was literally uh, working at Circuit City, and we were doing a dash mod, putting a monitor in somebody's dash, and um, we were looking to do like a faux finish carbon fiber effect on the piece that we were doing. And so I Googled it, and uh, Craig Fraser's book came up. And uh, he had all kinds of artwork. You know, it's the airbrush tricks and tips book that he made. Yeah, yeah, uh, I remember that. Yeah, so I, I actually looked at Barnes & Noble, and they had it in stock. So I, I walked over to Barnes & Noble and picked up the book. And uh, his artwork was in the back, and it's in the front. And I thought, man, that's cool. I used to draw a lot when I was young. I wonder if I could do that. And uh, I went out, and I bought my first airbrush. And I bought one airbrush, and I bought a stencil, a little skull stencil. <laughs> yeah, and, and I and I think everybody buys that first you know skull stencil when they get their first airbrush. But uh, I uh, I just started practicing in my garage, and that's that's how I that basically I got started. Yeah, that was, that's the same story. Well, not with the Craig Fraser thing, but yeah, basically the same in my garage. I remember you on WCA when you 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 was a fast learner and you jumped quick. Yeah, oh, man, that was I, that I was remember. a great resource for me. Um, you know, I, I was practicing probably three to four hours a day. I would go to work and get off at seven or eight, sometimes nine o'clock at night. And then I would practice those three or four hours and I was in the garage, um, you know, until like one or two in the morning. And I just, I loved the, the creative process, you know? And so it fueled that. I just want to do more. I want to do more. I want to do more. And, um, over and it became winter. I bought my first airbrush in August 2007, 
and then it became winter here in Michigan. And so it was freezing. And I was out there in the garage, freezing my ass off. Like the paint would barely even flow because it was like solidifying. And uh, yeah, but it, it wouldn't stop me. I was out there bundled up with a coat. I had a little space heater next to me pointed at the paint so it wouldn't freeze. And uh, I just, I just wanted to paint. I just wanted to paint so bad. So uh, that, I think that was, that did, that growth that you might have seen, you know, back on, on the forums was fueled by one, the great artwork that people were posting. That was a lot of motivation for me. And then two, the drive to want to be better was also the other one. Yeah, that's cool. Our stories are something similar. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, yeah, like I was saying, I first saw you end up seeing you starting out. Uh, but uh, and how long after that, after you really got started, that you uh, uh, opened up a shop? And you um, went straight from not to a flea market. You went straight to the mall, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, ignorance is bliss. And and so <laughs> I uh, I bought my first airbrush in August 2007. And then that following, it was either June or July, I opened up the store in the mall. And um, I took $3,500 that I had saved, just cash. And uh, I put my, my money down for my deposit. I put the first month's rent in. I didn't have enough money for shirts. I had started running out of money because um, I had to buy, you know, fixtures and I had to buy, you know, wood and make an easel. And I had to make all yeah. this to fill the store. And I remember that uh, I didn't have enough money to buy shirts, like all the shirts that I wanted. I was I was quickly running out of money. And uh, I bought a dozen of each size of shirt. And then like some of the bigger shirts I didn't have enough money for because they're more expensive. So I bought six of those and so i had like one dozen of each up to like an extra large and then after that i had like six of each shirt and i thought well that's all i got that's i'm all in at this point so it is yeah and uh so it wasn't very long it was it was probably three months before people were asking me to paint since i had got my airbrush and they were like hey can you paint this i'll pay you and so the money came quickly in that aspect i wasn't very good i didn't charge very much it basically covered materials, but uh, that was that was the beginning of getting paid to airbrush, and it happened very quickly. And so by that following summer, I was I was airbrushing full time. That was putting you know food on the table, paying the rent, and uh, it was very scary, super scary. Yeah, that money come when you first start, and the money come fast. That would get you hooked. Yeah, that's how it was for me. I, I got hooked when the, the money start coming so fast. That's crazy because most people go to the flea market. And then they evolve into the mall, but that's what I said. You skipped the whole. You skipped the whole big step. Yeah, and and I think it's, I've had, I've got a lot of like retail experience. So I worked at Best Buy back in like 90, 94, 95, 96, 97, somewhere in there for like three years. So I had that retail background, and then I worked at Circuit City um, from like two thousand one to two thousand seven when I started airbrushing. So I've had a lot of retail experience. So I wasn't scared of like opening in the mall. I wasn't scared of interacting with people and that sort of stuff. Um, I, I guess I just ignorance was probably my best asset because I didn't really know what I was getting into. <laughs> well, <laughs> it ended up working out well, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. That honestly, I went into that first week and um, I had 250 bucks to my name at that point. And I was like, oh, I got to open. I don't have I don't have enough stuff and I'm not quite ready to open, but I have to open. I have to generate money at this point. And so I had opened up and um, 
and that first month I made ten thousand in sales, which Damn. might not seem like a lot, but that was that was a lot of money. Um, so that that got me out of the hole and then back to where I needed to be. Yeah, that's 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 a good story. That's a good one. Yeah, especially because yeah. uh, a lot like a lot of people probably probably scared to make that leap, but I guess uh, if you don't make that leap, you won't ever you won't ever know. No, no, and that's that's a great point. Is that if you don't uh, if you don't make that transition and completely commit, but it, it and it it goes for everything in your life, like your relationship. If you can't completely commit to that one chick, and you're talking to two or three chicks, well, that one chick's never going to work out. You know, it's like if yeah. you don't completely commit to owning a business and running a business and and eating and breathing and living that, that's not going to work. So you have to commit one hundred percent. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So, how long did you have that ball open? Um, I think it was about seven years that it ran for. Um, in two thousand eight, the housing market took a dump. I was able to kind of survive that and still maintain, you know, a good living. I didn't really feel that pinch, um, where that that economy kind of collapsed. But it was about two. It was about seven years before the malls started to die, and when the malls started to die and the foot traffic died, that's what really hurt the sales in the store. Yeah, and that I think Did that you, was the beginning of the internet boom, basically. Yeah, and, uh, online sales and. But uh, yeah. did you? Um, did you? Uh, you had two stores. Did you have two shops? <clears throat> Yeah. So we we live in a small town, Battle Creek, Michigan, and Battle Creek is known for we have Post cereal and Kellogg cereal. So we've got we've got this. The city is called Cereal City, basically. And uh, the the city is built around Kellogg's Post, uh, Denso. It's got a large manufacturing sort of feel to it. But um, when that mall started to die, we're about 30 minutes from a big city, Kalamazoo. So I, I jumped ship and opened a second store at the bigger city and at the bigger mall. That mall was a two-story mall. It was probably double the size of our mall here. And uh, that mall was still doing well. The stores were full. We were seeing closings at the other store at the smaller mall. Um, so I thought this would be a great exit strategy in case this mall completely collapses. We'll be able to move over there and transition there. And it did. It, it did better. Um but it was like starting from scratch again. That clientele didn't know me, didn't know who I was, uh, you know, didn't even know the store was there. So I had to do a lot of groundwork, a lot of advertising again, just to get up to park. Yeah, starting all off. Feel like starting all over, and it's kind of rough running two spots at the same time. Did it you, was. Uh, how many employees did you have? Um, we basically had like three, and it was me. I had a like a shirt nurse in Kalamazoo with me there, and then uh, Brian Neely who I, I apprenticed and trained, uh, ended up running the Battle Creek store. And then he had one other person there to kind of help him run that store. Yeah. yeah. That was, that was one of the things I had, I think I had three at one point, man. And that was just driving me crazy. I had to be in all these places and running around, mm-hmm. uh, trying to keep up with all of it. Now, did you uh, have those, those artists there? Were they like, actually artists that would paint while you were gone and were you just managing the process or were you still painting at one of them and then still trying to run the process well i think the store that i'm in now is a uh i consider my my uh staple store like the main store and everything else was like satellites so the other mall 
I would uh I when I open it, I would like to run it myself to uh to make sure I had a uh I know what it made, I know how the customer clientele, I know what it was like. So I made sure I ran that one for a little while before I brought any other artists over there. Yeah. Then I would hire somebody to take that one and I would come back to the main store. Right. But like I said I had one that was like a uh man, it was like eight hours away. And I would have to if I had a like a misunderstanding, I would have to drive all those eight hours to get it figured uh, out. So yeah. man, I had to hurry up and let that one go. That was a pain. Yeah, that so, seems uh, like, especially that far away. Yeah. Yeah. So what else did you do now? I mean, uh I know you uh, you started doing when I first started. You had a different name, right? You were like doing uh, car stereos or something, right? Um. Well, yeah, I th- I think so. Like maybe maybe we're talking about the forum, and I don't really remember what my name was on that forum. Um. But yeah, I've I've been doing car audio stuff since man, is when I was a teenager, and I'm an old man now. I'm all gray and old now. But uh, <laughs> that was when I was 15, 16, I was doing stuff with my older brother, and that was back in, like, the 90s, early 90s. So we were we were chopping up doing 412s in cars and crazy stuff like that. So that's always kind of stayed with me. You know, the car, the car culture, the custom culture has always been a part of my life. You know, big rims, lowered cars. Originally, I'm from Phoenix, so that, that culture is prevalent in Phoenix. That's, you know, that's a big part of, you know, that town. So, um, but yeah, like just, just the car stuff. And I don't remember what my, my name was back then. I I, I thought you had something with like sound or, uh, I don't remember. I thought you, that's what audio, that's what made me think when you transitioned to motorcycles, uh, Mm. that you, you were putting stereo car stereos in the speakers in the bikes or something like that. You just made the bags. Yep. 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 No, we, um, when I, when I left the Kalamazoo mall, um, I actually got hooked up with a buddy who's got a custom car shop in Kalamazoo and he was like, Hey, why don't you come work here? And an airbrush out of my shop. And I was like, all right, they were doing car paint. Um, they were doing some audio, they were doing like engine stuff. So I had a background in audio already, uh, automotive electrical and, um, obviously airbrushing. And then, um, I also did like upholstery and some other stuff. So, I was a good fit and, and because I'm well-versed in a bunch of different stuff, I kind of filled the gaps where they needed it. Um, well, one day I get a call from my buddy here in Battle Creek and he's painting a bike for Herman Moore and this bike shop. And I don't know if you know who Herman Moore is, but he's the retired wide receiver for the Lions. So they're building this high-end bagger and uh, he says, hey, they wanted to put stickers on this bike, but I know you can airbrush the logos. Will you just come and airbrush the logos? So I figured, you know, three, four hours, I'll walk in, I'll paint these Lions logos on this bike, and then I'll be out. Well, like most jobs, it never seems to go that way when you paint on location. So yeah. I went in, I walked in, and they're still prepping. They're still sanding and base coating stuff. And I'm like, uh, you guys are like four or five hours away still. So I, I start helping because I'm trying to get done and get out. And uh, I'm sanding. And then the owner comes in. So I'm talking to the owner. Um, anyways, they see some of my stuff that I'm posting on Instagram at that point, And it's like car audio stuff. And it's like some of the builds and custom interiors and stuff like that. And they were like, well, what other stuff do you do? You know? And uh, so we got to talking and rapping. Well, they ended up offering me a job to go and help build these bikes. And these are, you know, $75,000, $100,000 bikes. And I was like, man, that's, that's gotta be good money. You know, that's gotta be a better opportunity than what I'm doing now. So I took yeah. it. 
I took it. And, uh, and it was at about that time that the bagger audio industry started to boom. And, uh, we got real lucky in the sense that the guy that I was working with drew drew Barlin, he was, uh, he was well-versed. I mean, he was super talented with fabrication. Um, he could, he was basically like a mirror image of me, but where my talents left off his picked up. So we complimented each other very well. And uh, we started making some of the loudest bikes in the country real quick. And uh, we went down to Daytona and we unveiled the bike. Um, and it was loud. It was louder than anything anybody's ever heard. And so it got us a lot of notoriety real quick. And then we came up with some new products. Uh, we started engineering some speaker adapter rings for bags. And we started selling those to shops across the nation. And that kind of blew up. And that's how we got into, you know, selling big audio on uh baggers and we became real big real quick that's crazy yeah. that's crazy this is what y'all making the molds of the bags yourself or y'all just making the molds for the inside of the bags yeah we were just making adapter rings to fit inside the bags so people could you know basically put big audio in their bags because a lot of the bags are different and they don't there's not one that fits all kind of deal yeah so yeah yeah we, see i I just had the little cheap round speakers that I hook up to my uh, handlebars, and that's what I had. And they run off a of, off a of little cord. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was used to. And then uh, the the I don't know what happened. The it's like everybody from the '90s who was into audio, and when car audio died, they all transitioned as older people and got bikes. And then they wanted to do audio in their bikes, and uh, it kind of refueled that whole industry. It was it just sparked a whole new a new product, really. Oh, that's crazy. Because I, I, <clears throat> I, I see some of your stuff on Facebook, and I was seeing some of those bikes back from then. I was like, man, that's, those are some nice-ass bikes. I see them. We have that Galveston bike rally down here. Yeah, that's I see huge. see some of those, those, those bikes like that down there. You ever been to that one? I have not. I, we, did, we did a lot of East Coast shows, and then, like, Southern Florida, you know, Daytona Bike Week, Sturgis, stuff like that. But we never got out to the West Coast. It seems like the East Coast seems to run that trend where the West Coast doesn't seem, but the West Coast seems to make a lot of the parts. So it's kind of a weird dynamic. Yeah. Um, what was the other question? Uh, that was the one about the music. Uh, so are you still doing the bikes or are you just moved on from that onto tattoos now? Nope, nope. I, I got basically just tired of the bikes. The schedule's grueling with the bikes. There's always a show and there's... Well, and there's always a show, there's always a deadline. So, you know, people want their bike for this show and it's six weeks out and then you've already got six bikes in the shop. And then we did everything in house. So we had a small niche team, you know, there was like five of us and we did everything from engines to paint to electrical audio, you know, fab, that sort of stuff. So it was grueling for us where a lot of shops will outsource those components. So you'll have like a paint shop an hour away and you'll send all your paint to them. And then when you get it back, all you got to do is put it together where we were doing body work in house and then we would paint and then do graphics and then re-clear. So it was very demanding. And with that demand, you have no, no, uh, I guess, social life, you know, your personal life takes a backseat to everything else. So, uh, and that was when I decided, you know, I need to find a transition again. I need to find an escape route. Without, uh, yeah. without just keeping myself high and dry. And then you moved on to tattoos. And then that's when I moved on to tattooing. Yeah. So did you have the, uh, uh, what's they call it? You had to uh, apprentice for a while? 
Yep. Yep, I sure did. Um, there's two ways you can learn how to tattoo. You can become a scratcher and tattoo out of your house on people willing to let you do it, which is the big no-no. Um, Man, I just heard that name about from somebody else about that. Sydney. Yeah, it's a big no-no. Uh, it's a big no-no in the industry. And really the the main takeaway from there is that you can really give somebody a bad infection and not even know it because you're breaking their skin and you're you're inputting you know, external things into the skin. The skin's designed to keep everything out and everything in. So it's, it's designed for that barrier. And uh, when you break somebody's skin like that, even just a little bit, um, if it's got a little bit of bacteria on it, it gets right into their bloodstream and then it's over. It's, it's into everything. So it's a big no, no. And I knew I didn't want to do that. So I practiced on fruit just to see if I even liked it, just to see if, you know, I was capable. And um, I thought, okay, I, I think I could do this. And just like everything, I'm, I'm ignorant to what I'm supposed to be able to do and what I'm not supposed to be able to do. So I just kind of jumped in with both feet. And uh, I took my airbrush portfolio and I made a binder and I made it nice and I put my name on it with my email address. And, and I literally just took it from shop to shop. And so I, uh, I found shops that I thought were reputable, that had good reputations. And I walked in and I said, hey, my name is Art Solis. This is my art portfolio. It's all airbrush stuff, but I'd like to learn how to tattoo. And uh, that's what I did. Well, that's crazy. That's yep. crazy. Did you, um, but you, so you said you started with fruit. You didn't, you didn't try to do it on nobody else. Are you nope. one of the tattoo artists that don't have tattoos? <laughs> I have very few. I'm probably the least tattooed person in our shop, which is crazy. Yeah. See? Yeah. I, that's kind of, I find that uh, uh, the guy who, uh, one of the guys who worked for me at first, uh, he went on to doing tattoos and I uh, started opening his own shop. And yeah, I don't think he have any tattoos, maybe one. I'm like, dude, how are you tattooing every day? And, <laughs> and you don't even have no tattoos. That's, uh, that's the truth. Like, yeah, like, that, crazy. like you, you go to a tattoo shop and you expect to see the artist completely covered. You expect to see their neck and their face. And, you know, you expect to see that. And it's funny because I get that comment probably at least once a month. You don't have very many tattoos. I go, no, yeah, exactly. I sure don't. But having a lot of tattoos doesn't make me a better artist, and it doesn't make me a better, you know, tattooer. So yeah, tr- that's, that, that's true. Yeah. So that, I just I just leave it at that usually. But yeah, it, it does come up for sure. And um, it's funny because I am probably the least tattooed person in the shop. Man. So do you like it? Uh, is it? Are you work planning on another transition? Are you? You know, uh, honestly, right I right here right now. No, I do I do enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. Um it's a it's a different clientele. It's a different dynamic. You're you're really um engaged with that person. You you create this instant bond with this person because they have an immense amount of trust that they're bestowing upon you to not fuck up their tattoo, right? So Yeah, right. They're like, "I trust you. Don't fuck it up." And uh so you, you have this mutual respect and this mutual bond and that, that builds almost instantly. It's a lot different than airbrushing where, you know, you, you take you talk to that customer for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you airbrush a shirt for 10, and then you give it back to them, and then you don't ever see them again. You know, that sort of deal. But with these people for 30 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, sometimes even four or five hours, and uh, you get to hear about their life and what they got going on and if I could say anything to anybody who airbrushes and is listening to this is that that energy, when you first meet a client, that energy that you portray and that energy that you put out 
will come back tenfold. So if you're given like you're having a bad day and you're running like 20% that day, your customers will pick up on that, you know? And when you tattoo, your clients don't want to come in and hear that you're at 20% or that you're having a bad day. You have yeah, you to be at hundred percent every single day when you go in and you start tattooing people. And if I could recommend anything to people who are airbrushing still full time is that when that client comes into your store or that customer comes in, you got to be at a hundred percent, 110% and sell that customer and be that positive light because they're coming in, they're spending money. They don't even have to spend like, yeah, they can go somewhere else with it. They could go somewhere else. They could, they could not even get a shirt. You know, it's just a shirt. They don't need this shirt, you know? So it's a, it's a want, not a, not a need. And uh, I've seen it a lot of times people just go and they get complacent and they don't want to put in the effort and they feel like almost like, Oh, I'm the artist in here. You know, I don't, I do what I want. Uh, it's it's the client. You make make the client feel like they, uh, you know, they're the only client that you've got that one day. You know, make sure that experience is top notch all the way through. Yeah. So you still, uh, wait. Two questions. Are you one of the, the guy who, like I was talking about, who, who transitioned? To, I guess he became. He'd have done it so well that he started to get a little better. He started to become, like I, I know here in Texas they do the. You have to make an appointment. It might be a week down the road. I mean, are, are, are y'all like that over there in Michigan? Yeah, it's, um, we were, I was probably booked out, mm, I'd say three weeks, maybe four weeks before the pandemic hit. And our shop had um, seven artists. So it's, a, it's the biggest shop in town, basically. Um, so we were able to take in a lot of volume you know, and then still turn and not be booked out months. Now with the pandemic, the the procedures have changed a little bit. So it's easier to go appointment only. And with appointment only, you're booking out a lot faster. So now I'm booking out closer to two, two and a half months, um, which makes it tough for people who want to get in. Because sometimes it can be an impulse deal. Like, hey, I really just want to get in and get this tattooed. And uh, you can't really help those clients because there's just not enough hours in the day. Yeah, I think I have quite a few tattoos, and that, mm-hmm. all of mine has been impulses. I feel like get a tattoo, I go to the tattooist, I get it done. But yeah. now it's like you have to wait a week, and, and it's a thought process for me anyway. I'm like, man, I gotta wait a whole week. I might change my mind. I got some. I might do something <laughs> yeah. else. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I. I'm due for one. I want to try a different artist. Maybe I'll fly up to Michigan and see what you got. Well, I got to go in the summertime because I don't do that winter stuff. Y'all get cold <laughs> down there, right? Yeah, it gets it gets cold. It gets to be like 10 degrees here and then wind chills of, you know, negative whatever. But you still yeah, do, uh, that's crazy. I can't do that. Y'all still do, uh, you still, but I see you starting to do a little bit more airbrushing. Yeah, so I've been doing side I call it side hustle, but basically when tattooing went full time, my airbrushing became the side hustle. And um, so I was still getting people reaching out to me, asking me to paint and asking me to, you know, airbrush specifically this or that. And I still got a network of, of body shops that I used to help clear stuff because I'm not, I'm not a clear coat guy. I can lay clear coat, but if I got a wet sand and buff it, that's not my forte, you know? Yeah. If, yeah. Um, 
So I still got a network of people I can push that out to, or if I need them to base it and get it ready for artwork, then they can do that for me. And then I can just focus on just the airbrushing portion. But yeah, I was still having people do that. And then when COVID hit, everything dried up. Nobody was buying anything. I mean, everything just locked up tight. So I needed it away. I was starting to, I was off work. Like they closed tattoo shops here and we were closed for like two and a half months. So I needed a way to like rejuvenate and, and bring in some income. So I actually started doing airbrush lives on Facebook. And I don't know if you saw any of those. Uh, I, you know what? The thing I, I barely go to uh, um, airbrush club until just recently. I used to go there all the time, but then I slowed down. That's actually your site, right? Um, actually, Arius started it is what happened. And I'll give you the, the rundown on that real quick. Um, well, let me go back. Let me backtrack real quick. So I started going live on Facebook on my personal page and I would just airbrush something. Right. And I was just looking for something to like do and like bring some positive energy back into like the world or whatever. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I started just airbrushing canvases. And uh, at first I had like a few people on and then I had like 15 and then it was like 25. So it was like building and I would do it once a week. One time I was airbrushing something and then people actually were asking if they could buy that piece that I was airbrushing. And uh, I was like, yeah, you can buy this. And <laughs> some, somebody else said, well, how much? And then next thing you know, in the comments, people are bidding on this panel, kind of like Mike LaValle used to do. And uh, it started this bidding war for this canvas piece. And uh, I think it ended up selling for like 350 bucks. Oh, and wow. so. I was like, wow, that's great. So then the next week I was like, what else am I going to paint? What else would be popular? So then I started coming up with ideas. So I started doing that during the pandemic. Um, and that continued to help fuel the, the hey, you know, art's still airbrushing, you know. So I still get, uh, I just painted a helmet, a hockey helmet for somebody out of New Hampshire. So I still get projects that come in, you know. And then I've got a couple projects from the bike shop. I'm still good with the bike shop. So they'll call me when they have some projects that need to be done. Um, so I'm still doing airbrushing here and there. But honestly, I've started cutting back because it was it was becoming too much almost. Like between the drawing time of tattooing that I had to do before actually tattooing and then airbrushing at night, um, it was almost overwhelming. It was like too much at once. So I had to cut yeah. back on the other. Yeah, that's, that's basically my life. I got like 30 things going at the same time. And I'm trying to figure out how to do all of them get it done yeah. you you run out of time you run out of time right. yeah and especially and if you want if you have a family you want to try to spend some time with that but you just yeah you just run out of yeah. time. The, the kids are growing fast and you know i'm trying to you know i'm trying to get into some screen printing right now and i'm trying to get rid of a little bit of the airbrush stuff so i'm not airbrushing so much so i can focus on more tattoo and drawing sure. stuff and uh but i love airbrushing and i don't i don't ever plan on stopping so but uh, yeah, it, it can be too much and it can be overwhelming and very stressful. So, and that's where I was actually right before COVID hit and, and the shutdown happened. I was feeling it from every angle. I was like, man, I just, I can't keep up. And uh, I had went and signed up for an airbrush competition in Detroit. And it was the uh, Autorama Airbrush and Air and Brush Challenge. I had won it the previous year and I was going to go back and defend my title this year. <laughs> and... Um, when I went back, or I was getting ready to go back, I didn't have my stuff set up. I didn't have everything prepped. And I felt like I just wasn't going to perform well. And I didn't want to go and, and not perform well. 
and, and lose badly, basically, because there's some yeah. really talented people there. So I was like, I just I can't make it. I can't make it. So um, and it was at that point I was like, I'm doing too much. I don't feel like I'm getting the best shots out. I just feel like I'm just throwing balls up, you know, and it's just going to bounce bounce out of the rim. So I uh, I kind of needed that that shutdown that COVID, you know, gave me. It forced me to. And I really used it to my advantage. You know, when I came back out of that shutdown, I felt better mentally. I felt stronger physically. So it was kind of a, a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I think a lot of people had to reevaluate a lot of different things because you have to change. A lot of people had to change the way they make money. Like you said, you were, you were doing art shows on uh, live shows online. I mean, yeah. that supplemented your income, which is a you know something that people who are still a lot of people who are still shut down could probably try. You know, that, that's yeah. one of the things that made me do this. Is like, well, I know there's a lot of people probably need some ideas. Some people don't have I can't can't think of, you know think of something to do. And that's mm-hmm. that's something great right there for somebody to uh, do some yeah. live stuff. And, and, and I totally give credit to like Mike Lavelli. He was doing it, I think, once a week, and um, he ended up auctioning off a lot of those panels before he passed away. So he was doing. Yeah, I mean, they were selling for four and five hundred dollars. His panels were so amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. I I, I did scan Pat and saw some of his. I, I did see him him doing it. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting there talking, laughing while he was doing it, actually doing it on live. That was crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he just passed too, right? He did, yeah. I think he had a heart attack and then uh, he had lost or he had an aneurysm or some sort of, you know, blood to the brain or something like that. And uh, it was real sudden. It just hit him out of the blue. So, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So That's, that's a big loss to the industry because he was, you know, on TV he did the whole monster garage thing when that was big. Yeah. And then uh, he was painting bikes for uh, Jesse James. And, and that kind of publicity for Airbrush, it, it shines a light. It, it makes people want it. Yeah. Yeah. He was on overhaul on a bunch with Chip Foose doing yeah. the graphics on those those cars. So, yeah, I mean, that, that brings us in the limelight. And if you're a part of that industry, then it just makes it more well-known. So it's it's a it's a big loss. So COVID, how's COVID in Michigan? What are y'all, are y'all still locked down or y'all still? Uh... Um, COVID was, let's see, it was March-ish. Yeah, just eight, late March. Um, the governor basically said, everybody stay home. And I don't know what it was like everywhere else, but it was a ghost town. Nobody yeah. was out. The roads were dead. Nobody was anywhere. Um, just recently we've been able to get like some normalcy back like uh restaurants you can go back and and eat at a restaurant that's just recently happened um there's talk of gyms being able to open again they're still closed here you can't go to the gym um movie theaters are still closed so there's a lot of stuff like that the mask mandates have been basically in in place since day one so we've had to wear masks since day one since they closed if you're out and about, you're wearing a mask. It's normal here, though. Like, everywhere you go, everybody wears a mask. It's very rare that you see somebody without one. Yeah, that's Texas. That's Texas, too. Yeah. Um, other than that, uh, we don't have a large case number. Detroit does. Um, Detroit's about two and a half hours from me. And they have a large, large number of cases. But the rest of the state had really low numbers. So... We're kind of in a rural area, so we're not in big city areas. So for us, COVID hasn't really been a thing. 
Yeah. Well, Houston is, is we're like high, but everybody still feel like it's normal. People are still going around, but you see everybody with the mask. You can't come to the store without the mask. And mm-hmm. it's basically, uh, yeah, everything shut down in, in March. The mall, I was still in the mall, so we closed down in March. They was closed half of March, all of April. And uh, we're just now, we opened back up. But when we opened back up, everybody had all that, that unemployment money built up. They were ready to go spend it. They had to get out of the house and spend it. And that's exactly what happened to us. But, yeah, Houston is pretty much back to normal, feel like. All the bars are open. Gyms are open. The Here, the bars are still somewhat closed. Like, you can get stuff to go, but you can't go and sit in a bar with a bunch of people. The You can't go in there and sit. If, like, I think they say specifically, if more than 75% of your total revenue is just liquor, then you're not allowed to be open with people in it. Not in Texas. <laughs> yeah. There's people in the bar drinking. So did it really affect you really bad art-wise as, as far as business-wise? Um, the tattooing stuff, when it was forced to shut down, yeah, that hurt real bad because it's a really intimate thing to be, you know, right next to somebody face-to-face while you tattoo them. So they considered that a high risk. And y'all have all um, the sterile stuff, too. Y'all got to worry about the sterile. Yeah, so one of the nice things is that we sterilize everything in between every client. So the chairs, the the workstation, everything is wrapped in plastic. So all of that portion is already in place. It was really just being face-to-face and where they thought, you know, transmission would go from, you know, if you're talking close proximity. And uh, so now that we're open, um, we're really not seeing any sort of like spikes, knock on wood, and um, even though we are so close to each other. But I think part of that is that we make, clients hand sanitize when they come in so if they do touch anything their hands are already clean um they still have to wear masks we have to wear masks and then everything does get sterilized sterilized after every session oh yeah yeah uh well we hope every shop is like that especially like the scratches don't that's one of the other things about the scratches but they don't do all of that no no and they don't have the proper training and they might pick up stuff here and there through the internet or whatever the case um but if they cross-contaminate something, it, it could be bad. And I'll, I'll give you a for example. Not too long ago, somebody local went to a shop that's local and got a tattoo. And they posted a selfie. The guy's hammering on his neck, and he takes a picture. Well, the guy's machine isn't bagged, so he doesn't have a plastic bag around his machine itself, um, which is a big no-no. It's, it's a big, big no-no. And so I took that picture, and I blurred everything else around it out. And then I reposted it on Facebook and said, look, I'm not here to throw shade, but I'm here to educate people. So this is what not to do. If your tattoo artist is not bagging his machine, you shouldn't be there. Um, If that machine is contaminated with the person before you, their blood, and that machine accidentally touches you or he touches the machine and then touches you, you could get whatever the person before you got. And uh, a lot of these guys that are scratching they don't have the most sanitary conditions. So it's really easy to get something or bacteria or an infection that eats away at your skin. And, you know, you don't want that. Yeah. I have, I actually had that on my, uh, on my orb where it, uh, I guess he was using uh, some, some new ink or whatever, and it got contaminated. 
it was re- it was really bad too. Cause yeah, yeah, it yeah, was, doesn't uh, take bad. much. Nah. Um, so uh, I guess real quick, let's talk about uh, Airbrush Club since I kind of skipped well, over that. No, nah, let's go. Yeah, what's up? Um, so Arius, back when I guess um, when everybody was on WCA, which was like an internet forum, that site was amazing. There was some really helpful and talented people on that. You know, and then the internet and Facebook kind of took off. Um, we started to make that transition. Well, Arius just haphazardly made an airbrush club on Facebook. And uh, it didn't really have very many members. It had, you know, a couple hundred or whatever the case. And so me and Brian at the time were working at the store here in Battle Creek. And we were like, hey, Arius, what are you going to do with that? You doing anything with it? And we could have easily started our own. But we were like, you know, you got one already. Let's Let's promote it. You know, it'll be great for you. And uh, so we took it over and he made us admins and we started just promoting it and putting up content and trying to fuel that, that, uh, I guess that, that culture that was on WCA and uh, there for a while it it boomed and uh, it's still the largest airbrush group on Facebook at 13,000 and growing members. Um, I think it's close to 14,000 members now, Um, but there's artists on there from all over the world, you know. Taiwan and I mean all over the world they're on there they don't they might not post and a lot of people don't post but they see it and, yeah. Um, yeah it's it's really grown but like you said I think a lot of people now just go to, and use their own personal pages to promote whatever it is they're pushing or you know show off their artwork so yeah but I mean you can do both on Facebook all you have to do is just share the group I think I think that's mm-hmm. one of the big things is that a lot of people uh, uh, don't post and it, it 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 hurts a lot when uh, you don't have a lot of people showing their artwork, which is like yeah. you said, it's fourteen thousand people. Somebody got to be doing something somewhere. Somebody's I think that was kind of somewhere for sure. Yeah, so that's one of the things that kind of I I do post on uh, some of the sites, but it's like it's not as much, and I haven't yeah. been. A, I can't, I'm not going to lie, I haven't been to Airbrush Club in a while, but I did start going back lately. Because I said I haven't posted in a while, so I posted some pictures. But, yeah, yeah, that's and, a good thing you started that. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's it's what you put into it. Like, so if you're just starting out airbrushing, put your stuff out there for other artists to see so that they can critique it. And that's one of the best ways you can get better faster. Now, there's two thought processes. Are you posting for personal growth and your ability to get better? Or are you posting to generate clients and customers? And you got to really differentiate between the two. You always, you always have a goal, whatever you're doing, you always got to have a goal. You don't want to run up and down the, the football field with no goals. Cause you'll just do circles and you'll never score. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it's important to set that goal up with whatever it is you're doing. So if you're trying to get better post in airbrush, club or pro post and you know paint forums or whatever it is so that other painters can see it and give you tips and tricks and help you and then you can absorb that and add it to your toolbox now if you're trying to generate sales man facebook is where it's at like 90 percent of my business comes from facebook and probably the other 10 percent is instagram so if i'm posting and i'm posting consistently i post once a day i post in the morning before i get out of bed I pick up my laptop or my, my pity pad and I'm making that post for that day. Uh, I might make an, if I do something cool that day, I might make another post that night. Um, but I post every single day. I stay consistent and you have to stay consistent. 
but my my clients come from my friends on my Facebook and they might not be local, but the majority of them are local. And those are the people that bring me stuff to paint. And uh, it's a great way. If you're not using Facebook to market and to generate clientele, you're really missing out. Yeah, that's definitely what you should be doing is using <clears throat> Facebook for that. Because everybody, well, I know on my personal site, I post a lot. But yeah, uh, but some people don't really like to take criticism that much. So that's why a lot of people really probably won't post. Because uh, that's how arguments start. Somebody want to critique their stuff and they don't want to hear it. Yeah, it's it's very hard to hear that. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Look at, oh, she's got a lazy eye. What'd you do there? You know, it's very <laughs> hard to hear that stuff. But, you know, on that same token, do you, do you want the truth? Or you can place it and you feel like you're, you're good. And I've seen a lot of people, especially like when I was on uh, WCA, there was a lot of artists that have been painting for 20 years that never really progressed. They got to a certain point where they became complacent their customers were fueling the ego. Hey, man, this looks great. I'll, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I'll definitely be back. And it's easy to hear that stuff over and over and then not grow ever and not want to do better. And that's fine if that's, you know, they feel good. They're making money. Their clients are happy. They're happy. I mean, that's a win-win. You know, who am I to say they're doing it wrong? But for other people, if you do want to grow and you do want to, you know, expand that comfort zone, it, it's a great way to to do that is just posting your stuff and saying how can this be better. Yeah, what what better critique can you get than your peers? They're gonna tell you. They gonna yeah. some of them really gonna tell you the truth. Some people are not yeah. ready for the truth. But yeah, you know who was really good at that? Tom Davison. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He was really good at saying don't do do this or use a hard edge shield and then spray that edge so, and that reflection will really come to life. Or, you know, he was always really good about sharing those little tips and tricks. Um, you know, that's that's another great resource. I mean, that guy's done it all, so. Yeah, t uh, Pat was telling me to uh, reach out to him because he got a plethora of information. Pat said he still talks to him and asks him questions about it. Ask him questions. So he's yeah. like, yeah, Tom got a plethora of it. Tom used to, I remember one of the things on WCA, Tom used to say, uh, get paid to learn, which means like, yeah. uh, he used to tell people to, you know, get paid while you're learning, you know, so yeah. if you, you're not that great, still paid it. I mean, they're going to like it, but you, you're still learning as you go. Yeah. And that's, that's really my story it was when I opened that store, I sucked. I sucked so bad. I remember that first Saturday when I opened, I had, I don't know, I had a bunch of people come in and try to get shirts to wear for that night to, to go out. And I was so slow. My lettering sucked so bad. Everything was off-centered. <laughs> man, they, they would pay me 20 bucks. They'd pay me 15 bucks, 25 bucks, and they would leave with a smile from ear to ear. And I was sweating. I thought it looked like garbage. You know, I thought, man, they're going to come back and want a refund. And uh, I got paid to learn. That's how. That's really how it happened. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, and that's a great... I, I didn't like that philosophy, but hey, it works for some people, but it, it worked out. So yeah. what are you doing now? What do you got going on now? Just the tattoo? Um, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been tattooing pretty steady. My clientele is growing, and um, I'm really starting to like gain momentum and build a name for myself. So I'm, I'm really pushing that. Um, I'm actually trying to get into just like good old-fashioned regular screen printing. Um, I think there's a market for that still. And, um, I think a lot of the screen printers have had like a monopoly for so long 
and they don't treat customers very well. I've personally tried to get shirts made with like my own branding and logo and stuff. And it's such a hassle. They never get it quite right. Uh, they don't seem apologetic when they don't get it right. Um, so I think there's a, there's a big opportunity there still, uh, at least in my area. Um, maybe the bigger cities are probably different, but, uh, and I don't then I'm know. also getting in. Go ahead. He, here they have a, everybody's getting these little cricket machines. And once oh, you yeah. buy a little cricket machine, it's about a thousand shops doing vinyl. And that's, that's the other thing is vinyl. It's like, it's similar to Silk Street, but it's, uh, it's like everybody's opening up little, little bitty shops. Everybody's a yeah. shop opening up. I tried vinyl when I had the t-shirt shops and I, I offered it as an alternative to the airbrushing. Um, when people would come in and say, do you screen print? Cause that was a common, a common yeah. question. Yeah. Do you screen print? I, I don't want airbrush, but I, I want some shirts made. So I offered that as a, like a low quality, you know, alternative, but it was, it was very labor intensive for me to yeah. draw it up and then weed it and then get it on the shirt. And then the vinyl technology at that time, I mean, this was 12 years ago, wasn't very good. It would crack. Um, it didn't hold up well in the wash. It would start to peel. And I don't know if they fixed a lot of that stuff since then with these, you know, new cricket machines and stuff. But, uh, I do see a lot of people saying they do heat transfer vinyl. Um, and I don't know if it's any better or not, but yeah, it, 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 it has changed a lot better. So, so that's better. a lot better now. Yeah. Yeah. So you, well, you, have a, uh, you have a, uh, you have a setup already for self screening? Um, I've slowly been piecing equipment together. I've been scouring marketplace. And as I see components come up for sale that are a good price, um, I, I snatch it up. And so I'm getting real close. I, I figure probably another two weeks I'll, I'll have the, the last bits of stuff that I need. Um, and then I'll start practicing and, and, you know, start going that route. Originally, I wanted it to do like my own T-shirt designs and market them. So I wanted to screen print them. Um, I've been doing more and more digital artwork, and that I seems see that. to be, and that seems to be popular with people, uh, logo designs and things of that nature. So uh, that's a new that's a new trick for me that I've been kind of dabbling with because I haven't I haven't have a lot of experience with computer generated artwork. So different programs like Procreate, um, Affinity Designer, obviously Photoshop is a big one, but using all of these in conjunction with my tablet allows me to do cool stuff. Um, so I've been trying to play with that and I really just wanted to have the screen printing stuff to do my own designs. Yeah. I was trying to get, with, I was trying to get with you about the, uh, the digital I saw you doing. I was going to bring that up. The, uh, so are you trying to do four press? Are you doing your designs that you're doing or is it one color? I'm going to start off with slow. I'm going to start off with, you know, dots and daggers <laughs> and uh, work my way up to, you know, script and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I, I just want to do single color at first, you know, figure out how to lay white. I know white on a black shirt can be pretty difficult. Um, they make it look easy, but I think technique wise, it's, it's actually probably pretty difficult. So I'm going to start there, and then I'd like to do, like, some process print stuff where it's got, like, gradations of color, gradations of fades, so it's not just solid white or black. Um, so hopefully I can I can build up over time. Yeah, because, I mean, once you start your own line, and you can, if it's simple, like, I've, I've noticed that a lot of simple designs, like, 
I've been trying to think elaborate. And some people come up with these little simple designs and it sells. With these elaborate ones, <laughs> I'm like, man, I can't get, I can't, I can't push that one for nothing. But somebody just got yeah. a simple white couple of letters on the shirt, it is selling like crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I, and, I, and I think I think Tom used to say it. Um, you know, it's not how many designs you have; it's which ones actually sell. Yeah, <laughs> and that boy, that ain't that the truth. It's true. Uh, yeah. Are you planning on pushing out a, a, a clothing line, or are you just? Yeah, that's that's my hope long term. So I, I want to have like an ink station line of of shirts, um, similar in the way that Solon has their tattoo line. Uh, I'd like to have an ink station stuff and. I don't necessarily know that it'll have like a, a genre like Solon's is just uh, tattoo related artists basically contribute to that. Um, who's the who's the clothing guy that that was airbrushing and tattooing Hardy Ed Hardy Ed Hardy yeah yeah he ended up going to make a crazy line obviously a huge name in the uh, the clothing industry um, so I mean there's there's a lot of potential there. Um, but originally, I just wanted to have some stuff for me, you know, for friends locally and stuff like that, and just kind of see what it does. Yeah, like you said, you have a clientele base. I'm pretty sure they'll they'll start wearing it. It'll be fine. Yeah. So I think, it'd be nice uh, to take some of my art, like tattoo artwork, and some of my airbrush artwork, put it in the computer, clean it up, and then print it on shirts. I think that'd be fun too. Yeah, yeah. I have a guy here. I, I thought about doing the DTG. You know about the DTG? The uh, yep, yep. The, those big. Dirt. $20,000 machines. But uh, I have a guy here locally, and he'll do a shirt for me for like 15 bucks. I'm like, okay, well, I, I'll send it to him instead of going buy that machine. Yeah. Yeah, that's cheap. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he's yeah, on the those, those machines are expensive. He's the only thing I don't like is that I want a, I want it a little bit bigger that he could do it. I think he only could do a 11 by 17. Uh, maybe yeah. a little bit smaller. So, yeah. So, how's yeah. that digital work? So you got a uh, you draw it on an iPad? Yep, yep. I'm drawing on an iPad Pro. Um, I really enjoy it. I at first I started off with an iPad Mini just to get a feel for it, and then um, I spent the big bucks on the iPad Pro. Was, the yeah. sucker was like twelve hundred bucks or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I do. I and uh, it's expensive, but once you get used to how it works and and the response and stuff like that, it's really nice to be able to go to the airport and still work and still draw, or you know, be anywhere and still work. And that's that's been really nice. Yeah, yeah, I I, I do that quite. That's one of the one of my uh, outlets that I use just to sit up and draw on my iPad. But yeah. I noticed on your Facebook that you uh, you design your tattoos there too. Yep. Yeah, we a lot of uh, tattoo artists use Procreate as the the software, and um, it's it's basically like the stripped down version of Photoshop. And you might be familiar with it, but it's basically all the best portions of Photoshop in one program. So Who was it? you can you can import it, and then change the opacity, and then draw over the top of it, and then use that line work as your stencil. So it makes tracing stuff super easy. Um, so in the tattoo industry, you trace a lot of stuff and use that line work as your stencil. Yeah. But I saw you, the one you did was a wizard. So it looked like you drew that from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some of my stuff I do from scratch, it just depends on what the client wants. Um, so it works, it works great for either really. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's only like 10 or 20 bucks. It's not very expensive. So if somebody's who's listening to this 
wants to jump into some stuff that's that's uh, going to be helpful, like a helpful tool, um, Procreate's a great program for that. Yeah, I think it's like five bucks, ain't it? I think it's like five bucks. Yeah, yeah it's super cheap. Whatever it is, it's it's way way worth it. Yeah, and they and they constantly upgrade it. Yeah, upgrade all the time. Well, what else do you uh? So, is there anything else you want to talk about that you got coming um, up? Uh, let's see. I think some of the some of the tips that I think I wanted to share with people, like. Obviously, my background was airbrushing T-shirts. Um, there's a there's a whole lot of wealth of information if if you're out there and you're airbrushing shirts either for fun or you know for even for money. Um, one of the tricks that I learned was that you could actually like cut Pellin squares into the size of a sheet of paper, and then print your design right on the Pellin. Um, instead of oh, printing yeah. it on paper and then trying to transfer it over to Pellin. You could actually run your your pellin right through your inkjet printer. I've never done that. That's, I'm gonna try yeah. that tomorrow. <clears throat> yeah, could take a little sheet of paper and then you know scribe it out, cut it out so it's the exact same size, and then run that right through your printer, and it'll print right on it. Um, we used to do that so we could you know cut the stencil faster. Um, we used well, to use uh, so, so you just heat do the black, the black outline. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then I would do it on a draft like setting so that that way it wasn't using a lot of ink so just like black and gray draft and uh and then i could just cut it out with the exacto blade oh, that's great. Um, what else uh heat transfer pencils i don't know if you've ever used those yeah yeah the, the red ink that's about yeah yep yep so, yeah it's basically a red colored pencil that you get at like hobby lobby or some other place and uh you basically draw on paper with it and then you flip it over onto a shirt and then heat press it on and it'll transfer the line. Right <laughs> over. Um, so that was always easy. That would, that would help me a lot. I would do those with uh, like bigger portraits because um, it would transfer kind of faint. So you really wouldn't see it bleed through too much, but it was all the, all the information was there to help. It used to be like, well, a lot of people used to share, share that information. WCA was good for that. Mm-hmm. And you used to find it on Facebook a lot where people would share, you know, information. But now yeah. it's, it's the age of, I guess everybody's just keeping it to themselves. As if, yeah. you we know, and Malcolm was talking about last week about how uh, we really don't see the younger artists picking up where we left off at. And like, I know you evolved and you moved on, but you still do it. So it's still a part of uh, of. of your repertoire that you can still use, fall back on, but you don't mm-hmm. see a lot of uh, uh, young airbrush artists who used to come into the shop and ask you questions. Or I don't, I haven't no. noticed that in a while. No, and I'm honestly, I thought about that a while back too, and I thought, man, that's that would be such a waste because you had the the pinstripers and the the sign writers, the old sign writers that would hand letter signs. Yeah, and they fell to the wayside because of the the plotter. The plotter came along. And put those guys out of business, hardcore. And so yeah. now that industry is dead. You don't see anybody picking up that trade because that's that's really hard to do. And um, I think what's happening is we're seeing that again. Airbrush artists are not coming up in the ranks anymore, and us old guys are slowly dying off. And I think what we're going to see is that a lot of these people aren't going to pick it up because it is difficult unless somebody shows you 
or helps you or shows you those tips and tricks, it's really difficult to come up with all that on your own. Um, I've seen a big influx, speaking of the potter, I've seen a lot of people using that on the bike side. So they're taking images, running it through their plotter and making stencils, and then they're just airbrushing what they see and they kind of peel up a section, airbrush what they see, peel up a section. So the plotter and the computer has become the great equalizer. You don't have to be a great freehand artist anymore. You just got to be able to know how to use your plotter and know how to, you know, blend some color here and there with your, your airbrush. Um, but I've been seeing a lot of that lately. Yeah, yeah, I've seen most, that too. Most notably on, like, hockey helmets. When you look at, like, hockey helmets that people are painting, all that stuff is masked. That's a lot of masking. Uh, I hate masking. I hate taping. I don't like doing it. So it's not something that I enjoy. So I don't like to do that stuff. That's that's never been one of my uh, my my things where I like the nice clean lines. I, I never liked the, the nice clean lines. I always like it to be a, like if it's gonna be airbrush, you're gonna see some some over little overspray for me. That's what that's that's yeah. That's been me. Part of the lure is the bright colors and the fuzzy. The, the it's got a very distinct feel to it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Wow. But yeah, the plot. It's sad. Like I, said, I wish. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, uh, it's sad, though, that we're not seeing these, these young young people come through the ranks anymore. It's interesting, though, when me and Brian were in the shop, um, we had all these crazy ideas, man. We were, we were going live on Facebook before you could go live on Facebook. This was 12 years ago, you know, and we were, we were airbrushing on Facebook video live, and uh, we were using, like, third-party software that we had to install and integrate with Facebook and... Uh, and we were doing that, and I even had uh, I had 1-800-airbrush.com for a while. As I saw the internet kind of come into play, and I was like, man, more and more people are buying online. I need to get online. So I was airbrushing online for a while. and uh, But all these youngsters, man, I don't, I don't see them coming up through the ranks anymore. And I don't know if there's just not an avenue for them to see it. You know, the malls are dead now, so it's like they don't go to the mall. The kids don't go to the mall anymore, so they don't see it there. You know, how are they even being exposed to it now? Um, yeah, it's basically, it's moving on. It's moving, like you said, it was the sign painters, the plotters. Now it's the airbrushers. Everybody's going towards, a lot of people going towards vinyl, and there are some, a lot of still silk screeners out there. Yeah. Yeah, so, and, and the, the uh, I guess the exposure, like I said, just the, the kids aren't being exposed to it anymore. Before I, Man, I, I was airbrushing in the mall, and I had a big window right next to the easel. And people would literally stand, and just huge crowds would watch me airbrush. And uh, I don't, you know, that's not a thing anymore. So maybe kids just don't see it, so they don't even know it's a thing. Yeah. It, it, it used to be about the show. It was always about the show, and that would, that would draw the people in. But like I said, you don't yeah. really see people stopping and looking anymore. No. If I was walking by your store and I saw you airbrushing, I would stop. I'd be like, oh, look at this. Check this out. Look at 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 You know, yeah, and, uh, I actually had a guy with his kid. He's like, Oh, they airbrushing shirts. We used to do this at this the, this uh this fair and, and all of us here we used to watch it we all had shirts. But uh, yeah. it's crazy though. We have this um art center that's downtown and it, it does like different classes and uh me and Brian had went out and again, long time ago. Um they had, they had asked about teaching an airbrush class um, to these, like, freshmen and high school kids. And uh, we said, yeah, let's let's have them paint skate decks. And uh, 
so we we set it all up we donated all the materials and time and uh, we went out there once a week and we taught them how to airbrush we taught them how the airbrush worked we made them sand the skateboards uh, we made them come up with designs and then we helped them make stencils so that they could actually execute those designs and then we when we were all done we cleared them for them and then brought them all back and delivered them and uh, I think that's one way that people can help you know get the word back out and help spread the trade and help keep it alive is literally just give back find find an avenue find an art center in your town find a, a high school and make friends with the art teacher and teach a one-day class or you know whatever the case but we're gonna have to do something if not airbrushing is gonna die and it's gonna die probably yeah, for the next generations yeah that's crazy because it Somebody came in the other day. Are you the only airbrush shops? It's hard to find where you're using. Like, there's, I I know of three other shops, but like I don't know about it in the flea market anymore because I, I went to. Sometimes I like to travel around it, it whenever I have an off day. I'll go look into other places to see if any airbrush shops, and I never find any. Yeah, no, so, they're far and few between. I don't know of any in my area. Um, I know Jimmy up in like the Grand Rapids area and then uh, Airbrush Magic up in Saginaw. But I think he closed his store. I think he's not even doing it full time anymore. And he was oh. doing a lot of trade shows and uh, he was he was doing a lot of like baseball tournaments and stuff like that. Yeah. Y'all have all this stuff up there? Yep. The yeah, we have big baseball tournaments. Uh, not now. Which is an, you know, another blow to the. Man, the that's a killer, man. That's been killing. I lost a lot of gigs since COVID. Yeah, I, I tell it, everybody on every podcast, my truck been just been parked. Yeah, yeah, you got that big red truck too. Yeah, don't get to get out because all the gigs dried up. Like right now, yeah. we be getting ready for Halloween. We be getting ready for face painting and going to places, getting set up for face painting. All that's dried up. No, everything is. Uh, a lot of people moving on to the mask, right? Because you got to uh, have a mask. So a lot of people doing a sublimational mask, airbrushing on mask. Yeah. So I thought about doing, uh, like, monster mouse on mask and try to push them to somehow. Yeah, the, the mask, obviously, I don't think are going to go anywhere, anywhere anytime soon. So that's a good money. If I guess if you can get the mask cheap enough. And you can make it cheap enough. Like I don't know what the sublimation cost and how long they spend designing the uh, the artwork before they print it. But uh, you know, there's there's a lot there, and I don't know. It's it. Everybody's looking for something, I guess. But I think that's the next big. Cool. That's the next big thing is sublimation. I've, every yeah. every artist I'm talking to lately has been talking about sublimation. So that's the next big thing. I'm assuming. Yeah, and it's not new technology. It's been around a long time. It's just, it just, I guess it's found its home, you know. Yeah, I was talking to Doug Burke last night. He said, uh, uh, he, he is busiest he's been in five years right now. Yeah, doing sublimation mass. Yeah, and and Dougie Dougie Fresh is what I call him. Fresh. <laughs> I've actually I went down and worked uh, an event with him uh, one summer. And it was like a three-day event. And uh, talk about knowing the business and knowing how to price and that sort of stuff. He's He's got it down to a science. He has made a living airbrushing shirts for a very, very long time. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, 
he's a, he's another guy with a wealth of knowledge. But his his kiosk uh, in the mall, his mall is still strong, um, and and there's like he said, he's he's just just as busy as he's ever been. So uh, yeah. kudos to him for for being successful still. Yeah, I reached out to him last night to see if I could get him over here. And he said, if whenever he slow down, because right now he's too busy, he's too busy right yeah. now. But yeah. yeah, which is crazy because malls are dead and he's still in the mall kicking in the kiosk. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm still in a mall and I can walk out. The mall is 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 dead. It's dead. But I've been there so long, everybody know to come come where I'm at. They know where I'm at. So I think that's the only thing that's keeping me alive is that people know where I'm at. They come to me. And I have yeah. a, a big clientele base. So Have know. you been able to... With the mall like being slower and the, and the different stores closing, I don't know what what the occupancy is there. But have you been able to negotiate a lower rent over the years? Man, I have. But since I've been, I think I've been at this mall for sixteen years. And when I first Ooh. started, when I first started there, I I I did it the way I thought everybody should do: go through the flea market and then work his way up to the mall. Not like some people who want to be superheroes and go straight to the mall. <laughs> They're but, ignorant. Uh, yeah, I went from like, but it was a, it was a trip for me because it was like my rent was one hundred and fifty dollars a month, and then I moved into the mall. And it was twenty five hundred dollars a month. I'm like, damn, that's a big jump. But I did it. But over the years, I kind of like they fluctuated on my rent, went up and down, up and down. But uh. I kind of I kind of like where I'm at right now, mm-hmm. but since COVID hit, they sold them all to new owners, so everybody's in the mall waiting to see what what their plans are. You know, mm-hmm. we don't have any really. We have set hours of eleven to seven. They they shorten the mall hours for us, but I I do uh I come in at eleven and I leave at five because at five o'clock. There's nobody in the mall but the employees. So uh, I go ahead and leave at five. So, but, uh, yeah, I, I like what my rent is at right now. But who knows what yeah. the new owners are going to do. Well, well, a lot of stores good. haven't even opened back up yet. Which is crazy. <laughs> did, and, did, they fur, did they furlough your uh, your rent payments when the, the state well, shut down? Yeah, like, when we were closed, yeah, they, they didn't say anything about rent. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, so I think a lot of people would have fought that anyway. Nobody's gonna pay no rent, and we don't have no customers. Yeah, and they were, they didn't even have it open. They let us come in, and I actually, actually, to be honest, I close. I was in the process of closing my store down right before COVID hit. But right when COVID hit, I said, you know what, I'm just gonna close down and not worry about it. So I cleaned all huh. the stuff out of my store, and I went actually went and got a job. But then I worked it a week. And then I found out that, well, we could open the mall back up. We could open back up. So I said, well, you know what? I'm going to just go back to the mall because I think I waited too late to, to go stay in that sun all damn day long. So, <laughs> where, where did you go find a job at? I, I went and got a, a job with the city. Uh, I went and worked for the city for uh, public works. And uh, the first day I was there, they had all that, all the stuff and the hot-ass hard hat and that. 90, uh, 95 degree weather and they had put me in a ditch digging out digging out a ditch with a shovel. I was like, oh shit, no. 
<laughs> but I did that for a week. You're... <laughs> you and the shovel for a week, and you're like, I'm going back to Airbrush Shirts. Yeah, I'm this going back ridiculous. to I'm going back to my shop, man. But yeah, I'm going back to that air conditioning. Yeah, it, it, but the thing of it was is that I think I waited too long to try to go back out. So now, yeah. but I have to figure out something because I'm not going to be able to do this forever. So it's time for me to find something else to get into. Yeah, and that and you know that was one of the things I thought too is that um, when when I when I started one eight hundred airbrush dot com, I was I was one of like three airbrush shops on the internet that you could buy shirts from. Um, I think Mega something was one of them, and I don't remember the other one, but uh, I thought, man, I got to figure out an exit strategy because I can only airbrush so much in a day. I can only airbrush so fast. And then that's when you, you max out. So I'll only be able to generate so much money in a week, no matter how fast I paint, you know, if you, do, if you broke it down into numbers. And I thought, I got to figure out a way to upscale the business. You know, how do I sell more product? How do I make money in my sleep? And I, once you can figure out how to make money in your sleep, then, then you're doing something. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I thought, well, if I can get a site going, I could take orders in my sleep. I could paint them at my leisure during the day and get them mailed out, you know, the next day. And uh, I, I even I considered at one time having different artists staggered across the country, like uh, Polly in Oregon and you in Texas and, you know, that sort of deal. So if I got an order in California, Polly could do it and get it shipped and it would be there in a day. Or... You know, if there was one in, in Arizona, then you could do it and process it and get it shipped in a day and they would get it in a day, you know, and I considered that because then that would keep other artists busy. They would make money. I'd make a little bit off the top. It'd keep everybody happy. Um, but it just never came. It never came to. So not that yeah. the online stuff didn't work because the online stuff definitely worked. I was probably at my peak. I was probably doing five or six orders a day. And this was before Etsy. This is before, you know any of that other stuff so that was quite a bit that was good money for me yeah i think etsy etsy is i think etsy takes something off the top too now but i had yeah, a lot of people yeah. come in who bought stuff on etsy and it wasn't what they thought because they didn't understand it like yeah. uh they'll buy yeah, a transfer they buy something yeah a lot of the people that are a lot of the people that are on etsy are stealing pictures and then posting it as their own, and then they can't duplicate it, and then they ship it off, and then the customer's not happy. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of that. And I had a lot of people coming to the shop like I bought this on Etsy, and it's not what, not what it was supposed to be. Yeah, but, yeah, that's Etsy, and uh, but I think, I think online is going to be the way to go. Yeah, if, if, you, if, if you're, you're not selling online, yeah, you're you're already way you're ten years behind. Yeah. I just think it's the uh, the learning curve of, of of knowing how to do it is the process of doing it is killing everybody. It, it, it deters me because I try to do it sometimes. Then I like, man, it is a lot to do. Then you got to put all the pictures. You got to put the pricing for everything. You got to put the shirt size. For yeah. Everything. Yeah. It 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 was a lot of work on the front end, and and I used to say to like Arius, I used to tell Arius, I said, you know your goals you have to feed in water like a plant you know if you're going to go and plant a seed in the dirt 
it doesn't spout the next day and you have a big old pretty flower and you got to go out there and, and water that sucker every day for three weeks and then you might see a little leaf you know and then you got to keep watering it and feeding it and turning the soil and and picking the weeds out and you got to do that for like another six months before you'll get a big flower to pop up hello oh man i think i just lost art let me call it back art hold on a second oh welcome back that was weird yeah it just dropped you were talking about the big flower yeah big flowers so yeah you gotta <laughs> you gotta feed and water your flowers if you want them to grow and uh don't expect them to grow overnight you know but uh yeah that's what I did with the website. I literally, I would take pictures of designs that I was painting in the store. I would edit them and save them in a folder. And then I would have my counter chick who would come in part time and I would have her upload them to the website. So she was doing all the dirty work of uploading it, putting in nomenclatures and descriptions and her descriptions were way better than mine. Like her creative writing skills were way better. And uh, I would have her do five or 10 a night. And that's how I built up. I had, man, like 60 or 70 designs on there. And uh, and that, it's just, that's the way it has to happen. You have to, like, put all that work in up front. But it'll pay off in the back end. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was because then you still have all of it. I think the problem I was having, one of them, like you said, was the, uh, to get to be noticed on Google or whatever, you have to have all these uh Keywords. Like I said, nomenclatures, yeah. Yeah. Nomenclatures, keywords, or whatever. Made a tag. Yeah. A lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. I I should pay somebody to do it because I got like, I I take pictures of everything I do, basically. So, yeah. I got a plethora of information. Hey, but, uh, but that's a good, it's good talking to you, Art. Yeah. It was a good, good talk. It was, uh, I know. Man, it's been probably what eight, nine years since I talked to you last time. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy, and I and I don't think you were one of the person. And you know, I I I always talk about how I had beef with people on WCX. So I was always arguing with people all the time. I don't think me you ever had an argument or anything. So we were good. No, no, I, I'm pretty easy to get along with. I think I like to think <laughs> so. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Todd. Todd was saying. You see Todd post about you. So you about to poke yourself with a needle or whatever? Oh, yeah. 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 So I'd like to talk to you quite a bit. Todd, Todd's, uh, he's like, he, he loves airbrushing so much. You know, he loves and eats and breathes, sleeps airbrushing. And I think he does a little bit of it. But, uh, man, he, he's like he's like the, uh, the poster child of, you know, airbrush fans, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know Todd for a while. Todd? I was a WCA person, I believe, for a while. Yeah, yeah. We all the old schools. So it's crazy. Yeah, but yeah, it was good talking to you, man. Uh, I wish you the best down there. Hope you stay safe. The family's good. Yeah, ditto, ditto. Everything. And I hope everything's fine in y'all in Michigan. I have a friend from Detroit, man. I was in the army with, so I, I keep saying I'm gonna come up there, but man, I, I, it's, it's almost winter time, so. Yeah, that's out of there. I'm gonna have to catch y'all in the summer. Yeah, catch us on on the back end of the the winter. Uh, I think I was I was in. Uh, well, Malcolm had put in. He did a, a thing with like Felly from uh, Skin Wars. Uh, well, man, it's been a while now. But uh, we, me yeah. and Brian went out to Detroit for that one year, 
and uh, that was a good time. I met Tina, Airbrush Tina, and uh, obviously Malcolm was there and Felly before he was on, even on Skin Wars. So that was a good time. It was like a brush brush bash kind of deal, and uh, everybody just got together and just painted. It was fun. I wish there was more. Yeah, I think. The, yeah, I was gonna say. I, I thought we were talking about it one time a long time ago that everybody should get together, but yeah. I don't know if they were flourishing. Yeah, you know now yeah. everybody is, is different now. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I've seen recently, you know, with Airbrush Magazine dying and and that falling away and just disappearing, the Airbrush Circus has uh, kind of picked up that ball and started running with it, and they're doing like Airbrush uh, getaways or that sort of deal. And I don't know if that's part of Coast Airbrush and what they got going on, or if it's a separate deal. I guess I don't really know for sure. Yeah, I, I went to the. Uh, have you ever been to one of those getaways? No, no, no. Yeah, I uh, Cliff let me walk into one, and I walked around here in San Antonio, and it, uh, I went to. I was in Vegas at the same time they were having one, and he let me walk around inside of there. But I think the one, another one I went to Vegas, Cliff wasn't in charge. It was the other person. And we were just walking around. I was just walking around and uh, talking to the artist. But it's basically the same people, I think. Yeah. I think it the might... <clears throat> Excuse me. The same people from the uh, Ambrose Action is now uh, for Art Circus. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think the classes are still full. So I guess there's still people out there willing to learn. Yeah, yeah, it'd be nice. I, I, I don't ever see any of that stuff in this area. Um, and then a few years back as well, me and um, who was it? Kathy. I don't remember her last name. I think it starts with an L. She does great like portrait work. Um, she's out of Indiana. She held a brush bash, and we had probably fifteen or twenty artists show up. And again, we just kind of hung out and airbrushed, and you know, swapped stories and stuff like that. That was a good time too. It'd be nice to see some of that start to, to take place again. Maybe you can organize some of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Flourish some of those. Yeah. Get Pat with all his money to, to get some stuff together. Yeah. Tell him to, him to tap Mark. all those sponsors. I know he knows a lot of people. Yeah. Him and Mark. But, uh, all right, man. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, we'll have this, uh, having you on here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun. Um, for anybody else who wants to, Take a look at my stuff. Feel free. Uh, my social media is Art Souls Designs, uh, Art Souls Tattoo, uh, InkStationTattoo.com, um, and then obviously on Facebook, Art Guapo Souls. Art Guapo. Artie Guapo. That's I put Guapo. Art, <laughs> yeah. Artie Guapo. Artie Guapo. Hey, appreciate it, man. All right. Thank you, sir. You have a good night. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. Air Graphic Podcast is a production of Air Graphics Airbrushing. Is written and hosted by me, fellow airbrusher Ralph Kelly. If you want to see any of my work, check out my website, www.airgraphics1.com, or my Facebook, Ralph Kelly. Thanks for listening. This episode was sponsored by Air Graphics Airbrushing and Caricatures, your number one source for airbrushing in Houston. Located inside Alameda Mall. Phone number is 713 941 3635.